0: hello and welcome back to the rope access and climbing podcast i'm your host mikey stevenson and today we're talking to siobhan about entertainment rigging working at heights with fall protection i guess yeah all right well if this is your first time here please make sure to subscribe and follow us wherever you get your podcast so stay tuned Step into your harness and get ready for a podcast about the vertical world. All right, well, let's dive into today's episode. Today, I am talking with Siobhan uh, from the United States. She is a fall protection instructor and a rigging specialist um, for entertainment. So Siobhan, do you mind just diving in a little bit further with your introduction? And just kind of tell us where you're from, you know, really what do you do and, um, you know, areas that you kind of specialize in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would love to kind of give you the summary of my career. I'm from Southern California and I took a job as a stagehand when I was a senior in high school. Then about a year later, I finally noticed people walking on beams, dropping rope. And I go, wow, that looks really dangerous. I want to do it too. I'm, I guess I've never really shied away from challenges So I was approaching people, trying to find someone to mentor me. Eventually, someone agreed to mentor me, and I got started as a downrigger, which is basically the people who are part of the rigging team who do all the work on the ground. And then about a year after that, I started being an uprigger, which is all the people that are doing the industrial climbing And that's when I was introduced to fall protection and not so much rescue. Actually, I, I, even when I first started climbing, first started using fall protection, I didn't know how to rescue myself or rescue my teammates. I didn't know anything about orthostatic intolerance. So I was very green and very ignorant, but luckily, um, eventually that changed. So I worked for a bunch of different companies in SoCal. I've done work with the IATSE union and with, um, kill switch and PSAV. And I got to be a stage technician for Disney, which is where I took my very first Sprat rope access class. And I actually failed my first Sprat class. And it is just, there are moments in that class that I'll never forget. And they absolutely shape the woman that I am today, um, one moment being, I got called out for not knowing anything about rescue and honestly, for just kind of being a pompous brat, which, uh, there's no shame in admitting that because, you know, otherwise I never would have grown as a person and I wouldn't have grown as a professional. So I appreciate the people who, who, uh, you know, gave me some hard pills to swallow and, and, um, yeah, my ignorance was definitely confirmed when I failed that class, and I then w- decided to do a school project. I was going to Cal State Fullerton at the time, so I did my senior honors project on fall protection and rescue, and basically it was a project for myself, and and I, I approached it from the angle of what do I wish I knew about fall protection and rescue two years ago, a year ago, when I first started climbing, what is it that I wish I knew without relying on my mentor, which that's a whole other, that's a whole other story. Um, maybe we'll unpack it later. I don't know if it's relevant to this podcast, but anyway, I did the project. There is a written portion of it and there is a presentation portion of it. So I recorded the presentation. And I uploaded it to YouTube, which is super awesome. I have like over 3000 views to this date. And I've had lots of people asking me if they can use it as part of their rescue training. And it is about orthostatic intolerance and a little bit about first aid. So if you want to check it out, it's called Prolonged Harness Suspension. And from there, I was hired by VER to do fall protection training when ver merged with prg i i was a contractor so i just kind of no longer was getting called to work for them so i continued freelancing rigging um, one of the highlights of my career is being involved in the chris angel mind freak install at planet hollywood i learned so much i mean every day on that in, in on during that install i felt like i was incompetent <laughs> But it was just definitely some, some serious growing pains during that time. And I'll never forget the crew that I got to work with some amazing players in the industry. Um, So then from there, I took a job with United Staging and Rigging as a project manager. And I got to be on the Nick Walinda Volcano Live set, setting up stages and setting up fall protection which is important. We don't want anybody to fall into the mouth of a volcano. So if anybody is getting the, the, uh, visual version of this podcast, that's, that's what this background is, is video village and the volcano. Another really great highlight of my career where I learned a lot. Um, and unfortunately, while we were doing this, that's when COVID was ramping up. And that's when a bunch of summer events were getting canceled. So I became project manager with no projects and 2020, my word of the year is pivot. So, um, I started teaching myself search engine optimization and social media management. And I, um, started doing that for the company. And then I, ended up moving to Missouri to be with my long distance boyfriend and now I have a life here and I love it and I am currently a rescue instructor for ENSA North America and I teach wind turbine technicians how to get out of bad situations.
0: Wow, that is a heck of a review of your career coming up. And, I feel like I
1: talked way too much, and I'm so sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that is, that is amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, definitely shine some light on, um, you know, where this conversation is going. So today we're going to be talking to her about, you know, fall protection um, as an instructor, as a worker, um, the entertainment rigging industry. Um, and then we're going to dive in a little bit about the, the rescue side of things and talking about orthostatic intolerance because as a rope access instructor myself, I do find and understand the lack of understanding in the general public of what that is and how it entails, uh, you know, how it entails our life. Um, you know, I've watched her YouTube video it was awesome. Um, and it was extremely informative. So if you are, you know, watching this on YouTube, head over to industry explorers and then give her a, uh, a follow and a subscribe over there and check out that video um, and you know it'll be an interesting a, um, extension onto what this podcast is so uh, so diving in um, let's first start out with entertainment rigging um, mm-hmm. this is an industry that I know absolutely nothing about I don't know how to get into it um, you know I've, I've only ever met um, you know two entertainment riggers out of Toronto um ontario there and you know they loved it and it would be such an interesting vibe um and then speaking with them they'd be like you as a rope access you know guru is what they called me was like (gasps) you'd be totally terrified to work um up in the rafters as, Mm -hmm. as a rigger and i do have to remind people sometimes that i'm a boilermaker as well so you know walking on you know three inch i-beams with a six foot lanyard wrapped around my ankle with a chain fall over my shoulder and a beam clamp hooked onto the side of me was normal practice at that time absolutely terrifying (laughs) to try that now um understanding the consequence of injury in the event that you know you were to fall Um, you know, obviously in the fall protection industry, it's like number one rule and it's a rule you do not break. If there's any rules you don't break, this is one you do not break and it's just don't fall. Right. (laughs) Um, and I'm sure you can shine some light on those.
1: Oh yeah. That's a terrible rule. I mean, obviously don't fall, but at the (laughs) same time, if you're not practicing, um, proper work practices, and you're not using your equipment properly, that would be a really terrible time to find out that you're diabetic, it would be a really terrible time to have a heart attack, it'd be a really, uh, really terrible time to pass out for whatever reason, maybe you're dehydrated, maybe you didn't eat enough, like, Yeah, that's, you know, I get sometimes guys say, Oh, if you're just climbing up a 20 foot ladder, using an SRD is just ridiculous. It's not that high. And to again, that's just my argument, like, well, that would be a really shitty time to have something happen to your body.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, you can... You know, step off a curb and and break a hip. So, like, what do you expect is going to happen at six, eight, 10, twenty, twenty five hundred a hundred feet? Right? It only the mm-hmm. higher you go, it's only going to capitalize the the outcome of mm-hmm. the the situation. So, you know, like n- nobody is you know you are not going to show up and at a, at a job site and be like, okay, I am going to go work on this job and today I am going to have a heart attack. Like, you are yeah. that's an unplanned um, uh, attack. So. Um, you know, having the PPE in order and the procedures and the right methodology and mindset to ensure that you're safe is extremely important. Now, in the entertainment rigging, like, let's kind of dive into that just a little bit here. Um, When it comes to, say, somebody here wanting to get into entertainment rigging, what would be the... that stepping stone for that person that's like hey like that sounds fun um wh- where do i go like do i just google entertainment rigging apply jobs like click here like
1: so it definitely depends on where you're at in your walk of life if you're a high school student or a college student it would benefit you to get involved in those types of after school activities even though you may not only be involved in rigging you may involved be involved in lighting or audio scenic design carpentry and that's a really good place to start and if you're a young professional it would benefit you to get involved in community theater it would benefit you to have um, maybe even some manufacturing experience or uh, fabrication experience is a huge plus so just having a working on a skill or a trade and getting involved if, if you can get involved in theater or in entertainment in any way, that's like a good place to start, starting off as a stagehand. When I was a stagehand, basically what that meant for me was listening to someone tell me where to push a box on wheels. F-O-H, front of house. Where is that? This is an arena. What does front of house mean? All the way on the other side of the arena. Okay. Push the box over there okay, you see these colored um, connectors, I want you to m- plug them into each other, but make sure the colors match. Okay. <laughs> okay. And it's just a lot of listening to direction and, and you know, just doing what you're told. And w- when you are even just doing a job like that, it's, it's being a stage hand is like an entry level position, if you will. And You can, that's a great way to get exposed to the different facets of entertainment. Mm -hmm. And when I was starting out, I would ask questions like, what is this connector called? What do you call this one? How is this connector different from this one? What is this cable doing? What is that cable doing? How do you get the machines to talk to each other? And I honestly entered the industry thinking I was going to pursue lighting design or, um, I thought I would become a a lighting programmer, but then I, when you're surrounding yourself with these communities, then you have access to different people. So I think another good piece of advice that I have is just trying to get involved in these conversations, just meet as many people as you can, because eventually you'll talk to the right person who will, um, point you in the right direction, share a job opportunity with you, share a webinar with you, share a in-person course with you. Anyway, so, so yeah, just get, in, get involved in these communities at any capacity and ask questions. Ask as many questions as you can. And then from there, one thing will lead to another. And your journey may not look like mine. Like when I was doing the, um, when I was teaching fall protection for VER, That's when I started making PowerPoint presentations and writing curriculum and, you know, writing safe operation procedures. And then that same person who had hired me for that job hired me to do the Chris Angel Mind Freak install. And towards the end, when we were in our, doing our rehearsal runs, um, I was asked to kind of switch hats and start writing the safe operation procedures, writing, um, the rescue plans, making all of the necessary documentation. There's so much to inspect. So I started writing inspection documentation and, you know, not every rigger does that, Mm -hmm. but again, it's just like one thing led to another. And, um, one last piece of advice, I suppose would be to, I, I don't know, just try, just try things. You know, yeah. you may not necessarily love it, but if you try it, you may find your niche. Like writing safety documentation is really boring. Reading ANSI standards is really boring, but I did it and it opened it opened opportunities for me that otherwise wouldn't have been available to me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's, you know, like you said, uh, you know, standards, that's definitely something that everybody hates. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, but you know, that's the, that's the one place that I strive. Um, for some reason, you know, I tell people like in classes is like, oh yeah, if you're having issues falling asleep at night, read this document. Um, (laughs) for me, it just keeps me up at night, which is completely bizarre, but nonetheless. Um, now when it comes to like the entertainment industry, there's so many different facets and that's what I'm kind of finding here is talking to you about it is you know you may go in as um a stage hand and just kind of a general labor for that job but you know you said it may fester into something that you totally didn't in- in expect so you could go mm-hmm. lighting production you could go audio you could go video you could go fabrication automation, automation yeah, fabrication. um you graphic design mm-hmm.
1: excuse
0: me um and it's just that's very entertaining, um, very interesting for me because it's just like, you know, when I look at entertainment rigging, I look at like Walt Disney and I'm like, yeah, right, I'll ever get a job there, good luck. Um, You know, that's way above anything and, you know, I just don't have the connections to get into a place like that.
1: Well, even there, there's different facets to working at Disney. So Mm -hmm. when I was a child, my dream was to be an imagineer. What does that mean? That means a lot of different things. Imagineering could be research and development. It could be uh, engineering. It could involve um, carpentry. It can involve, gosh, I don't even like... Making the artist renderings, what and, and there's different mediums in which yeah. artists are needed, right? You could be a painter, you could be a graphic designer, you can be a I'm gonna just butcher it's like a like a clay artist. Like you, oh, okay, you yeah. build model like clay yep. models, clay modeling. Yeah, yeah. Um and so the thing that really inspired me was again, growing up in SoCal, my family and I went to Disney pretty often. And when I was about twelve, that was the 50th anniversary fireworks show. And I loved how everything was perfectly in sync with each other. I mean, even the blast of the fireworks seemed to be in sync with the sound. And I love every single aspect of it. I was one of those kids that always like looks behind me to see how the mechanics of the ride work. Yeah. So I didn't know what Imagineering really meant for me, but I tried my darndest to, to research and figure that out. So eventually I became a stage technician at the Disneyland Resort. That's not, in, that's not Imagineering, but I got to be part of the company. And And when you are in the technical services department, there's different venues that you can work for. You could be a lead at one venue. You could be a general manager at another venue. You could have um, a temporary salary assignment. You could be like an assistant technical director. You can become a um, different, different, ki- there's like different kinds of management positions. There's also, um, you could be an operations manager. So the person who invited me to take the Sprat course at Disney mm-hmm. was, a, I don't know his title exam exactly, but essentially he was in, in charge of the rigging operations at the park. And that involves, you know, mostly maintenance and it can also involve installs. So during my time at Disney star Wars was just, you know, they were building it. And so again, just because you're a stage technician there. It doesn't mean like there's, there's so many different um, opportunities for you. And I actually wasn't a rigger at Disney. I was um, mostly a follow spot operator for the Aladdin show. And I was also a maintenance technician for world of color, which is a fountain show at the California adventure park. But again, like that's just, that just, you know, goes to show that being in entertainment and even being at the Disneyland Resort is there's there's so many different roles that need to be filled.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, all right. So I guess one question that I have uh, on the uprigger side of things um, would be how has the culture changed um, from the time that you got into it um, where... You started on the safety side of things to the time that you stepped foot in the Sprat course and got called out for the lack of knowledge to where it is today um, and the rescue methodology. Like, From my understanding of, of this conversation is when you were in the early days of your career, rescue was... An afterthought is something that people really didn't think about, didn't take into account, or even really consider. You got slapped in the face in your sprat course, and kudos to the instructor that had the nerve to call you out on that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then to where it is today. So, do you mind shining a little bit of light on that?
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, that's a great question. Here's a brief history lesson on entertainment rigging from Siobhan. (laughs) (laughs) Who is like, I've, some people have been rigging uh, longer than I've been alive. (laughs) So, um, as, as I, from, from what I've heard, um, you know, up until like the 70s or possibly the 80s, um, that's when people really started wearing harnesses. And even then they may have been wearing climbing harnesses sit-in harnesses not the full body harnesses that are for industrial use with the shoulder straps so maybe you'd get people wearing a harness of some sort and that was their fall protection so there's no regard for lanyards of any kind or or self-retracting devices SRLs SRDs and and by the time that I started rigging in the 2010s like I think I started in like 2014 everyone is wearing harnesses not everybody on the ground was wearing a hard hat or steel toed boots or high visibility high visibility vests and in the air not everybody was wearing hard hats and i've had instances where i'm in the middle of doing something and someone comes over to watch me because i'm the new girl and they want to make sure i'm doing it right or being safe or whatever and i hear next to me a guy goes oh shit clip and i'm like oh my gosh can you not do that that scares the shit out of me like you were standing next to me not clipped in just now what if i had accidentally bumped into you or something like it terrified me yeah um So you would, you would get guys, I've worked with guys who've been rigging for such a long time that they may have started before harnesses were required. And even then, like sometimes they would forget to clip in, or they may be doing little things that you really shouldn't be doing, like taking your unused lanyard leg and clipping it into your side D ring. Well, if you take a fall and you're clipped in on one lanyard and then it catches, it pulls on your side D ring. Cause that's where the second lanyard leg is. You're going to be at risk of breaking your hip or doing some pretty bad damage to your pelvic area. And so it's just like little things like that. And, and even then r- nobody really talked about rescue before, um, engaging in the work activities. So one time I was already climbing on scaffolding and we were taking down some lighting fixtures and I turned to the guy next to me. I'd never met him before. And I go, Hey, if I fall, what, what are you going to do? And he goes, uh, probably pick you up with a shovel. <laughs> I was Like, I'm like, Oh, um, I don't really want to climb with you actually. <laughs> like, this is not good. And then I asked another guy who was next on my other side and I go, okay, well, what are you going to do? He goes, I'm in the telecom industry and I have taken rescue courses. So don't worry. You're good. And I'm like, all right, cool. I feel better. But even then I didn't know what to do. If someone took a fall, I didn't know what to do. And it was just hardly a conversation. Fast forward a few job sites later and I'm on this rigging crew and we we do our safety brief before starting the work. And the lead for the day goes, where's the rescue kit and every, or what he goes, what's the rescue plan. And everybody just starts laughing at him and he goes, no, where's the rescue kit. And, um, and they're like, Oh, well, I, I guess we keep one up there and there's one down there and, you know and and so he goes okay guys so here's the rescue plan you know and it's it's becoming more of a conversation before work it's becoming more of like the standard practice is having a rescue plan understanding where the gear is and who's responsible for what we're seeing uh, like a a good shift toward in the right direction but even even with you know my few years of experience doing this i've 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 seen both ends of it where it was a laughable topic and now it's a serious topic
0: yeah that's awesome to to see that you know, you were able to shine light and you've kind of lived through that transition of, uh, of culture of, you know, like you said, it was a laughable topic to now where it's a serious topic. And, you know, you, you I, I would say that a big part of that for you to be more acknowledged to it is the fact that you got called out on it at one point mm-hmm. And now you're just that much more aware of it to be kind of, you know, prone to ask the questions and stuff like that. So obviously the rope access side of things did complement that support of thought process for you.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, And during that course, I think I was probably saying something really stupid like well in the real world and it's like what do you mean in the real world you're at the disneyland resort we're teaching you how to be a rope access technician shut up you know and 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 i was probably saying something like you know stupid like that like well in the real world um and that's when the instructor goes what's your rescue plan and i'm like I don't know. We have this stick and you're supposed to use the stick to rescue someone. And he goes, you don't know what your rescue plan is. And you're going out there and climbing around and just engaging in all this activity. And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, like and that was that's I'm just kind young of like and stupid, leave me alone. I'm just young and st- no, that's, but that's how that that's how that moment went, you know. Yeah. And the stick, by the way, is you know, the rollgliss. gliss. It's the DBI Sala Roll Gliss. Yeah. <laughs> that's what that's the stick that I was talking about. I don't even know what it was called. Um and, and there's there was another time where I was asking about the rescue plan, and I asked this guy, hey. What's the rescue plan? Cause I'm climbing up there with you guys. And I want to know. And he goes, yeah. you don't need to know the rescue plan. And I'm like, huh, well, w- if something happens to you, you're going to want me to know what the rescue plan is. I'm yeah. not here to challenge your authority or your experience because, uh, you know, you've been doing this longer than I've been alive, but I still, <laughs> you know, it's not a guarantee that the new guy's going to be the one to fall, you know, no, absolutely. someone who's experienced, you know, you never know when we are loading out a show at night after a concert Mm -hmm. and this is and if you're doing something in an outdoor amphitheater oftentimes condensation will build up on that steel and it becomes very slippery so even if you're experienced you you know you you may slip oh yeah so i go yeah i would like to know what the rescue plan is and he goes fine and he goes to like this little room on the side of the amphitheater and he's looking for our rescue kit and he can't find it. I, as soon as I realized what was happening, I start timing it. And, and it was about 10 minutes before we found the bag. And then I go, Oh, awesome. Can you please show me how to use this so that I know? And he couldn't figure out how to get the, the hook onto the roll gliss, you know, to, to where it was open and ready to, to get someone on their D ring. Yeah. So you know and this is like now we're talking like 15 minutes maybe 20 you know 15 20 minutes to find the the kit and then figure out how to use it imagine if someone was like just being like suspended from their harness for that long because you weren't prepared for that situation yeah that was another that was an eye-opening experience for me but i'm glad that i asked the question because then you know that experience empowered this person to know exactly where the kit is and exactly how to use it. And we, we were testing it out and I was hanging out from it. He was hanging from it. We were playing with the, um, you know, the wheel. Yep. So yeah, that like, even though it's kind of funny, it's also very serious. And I'm glad that we kind of went through that exercise.
0: Absolutely. So how often would you say people are training this like is the entertainment rigging taking it. Obviously, they're taking it a lot more serious now than before. But is there like specific like, um, r- hot uprigger rescue courses that these people are taking now, or is this just on 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 site? This is the beginning of the job. This is what we're doing. This is our rescue plan. We're going to run through it. So everybody on the crew is ready to go. Like how can you give me a little bit of an idea what that looks like, um, in today's, uh, age.
1: When I first started, there were no classes that I was aware of. They may have been available, but I certainly wasn't aware of them. And that created a whole terrible situation where I was completely reliant on my mentor for information. And he was manipulative and would talk shit about other people and be like oh this guy doesn't know what he's talking about this person doesn't know shit blah 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 like so then as a 19 20 year old that's conditioning me to only trust this one person which is you know it's dangerous that's it's narciss. like in hindsight now I recognize it as narcissistic manipulative behavior mm-hmm. and I definitely don't want any person, especially a, a woman to have to go through what I went through. So I wasn't aware of any uprigging classes. I wasn't aware aware of any fall protection or rescue classes. The SPRAT class was the first like real class that I had take, taken in, in something like this. But now, now companies are... They're they're doing a really good job with their onboarding process, and um, I specifically a company that I work for that's really good about this is Bigger Hammer. Bigger Hammer has fall protection and rescue courses that you have to take before you go onto job sites, and you know I I think that's awesome. I feel like I'm seeing that more and more in this. Day and age, it's funny saying day and age, (laughs) because it's not like this timeline is very long. Like I started doing this in 2014 and now here we are in 2021. That's not a very long time at all. Not a very long
0: time, but Um, a lot of transition.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a good transition, really good transition. So we're definitely seeing companies that are taking this very seriously that are, you know, adhering to ANSI, uh, training standards. I think that's the Z 40.1, so we're also with 2020 we're seeing a lot of people um uh providing webinars yeah. entertainment rigging services and uh, bill sapsis and chicago Flyhouse. i've been taking classes from them the event safety alliance has been offering classes and you know if again another piece of advice if you're wanting to enter this industry is go take those webinars You know, it doesn't matter if it's a free webinar or if it's one of those that costs like $300 because I have taken courses that do art that are that much money, but it is so worth it. You, there's, um, there's different asks, there's like different classes you can take. There's certainly ground rigging classes where they teach you the names of the different equipment and some basic, just some basic level stuff. Like here's what the, here's what, Um, maximum breaking strength means. Here's what design factor means. This is what, here's what we're talking about when you hear these terms. There's up-rigging classes, there's fall protection classes, there's rigging math classes, you know, because physics, physics is physics, structural analysis is structural analysis, and that stuff doesn't change. So if you're a crane rigger and you're learning how much force is applied to your slings when you're subjecting them to a load we do the same thing mm-hmm. we we work with wire rope sling work synthetics running on angles and like all that jazz so there's certainly online classes that you can take and and i that's the good thing that 2020 has brought to the entertainment industry is an increase in those learning opportunities and i wish i had that when i first started
0: Awesome. All right. Moving on. Um, so fall protection instruction. So how did you get into this? Like, um, obviously we went from the entertainment rigging now into the fall protection, uh, instruction course. How valuable is this to all personnel working in North America?
1: Uh, extremely. It's important to personnel worldwide. <laughs> okay. Um, so again, I failed my Sprat course then i and i was going to college at the same time so i did a project on fall protection and rescue that project um, was recognized by the director of rigging at the time for ver who invited me to teach fall protection for ver which is an entertainment company they're an entertainment rental company and that's when i first started teaching fall protection Then the merger happened and there was a a couple of years went by. And in 2020, I reached out to ENSA North America and I said, hey, someone that I've worked with in the entertainment industry told me that you are looking for instructors. I have instructor experience and extensive fall protection experience. Can I have an interview and they said sure send us your resume and i sent them my resume sent them the interview, or we did a phone interview and then i got to start teaching in december so nice. i'm i'm so excited like it's so much fun to me because i i think it's just like i feel like i have a higher purpose i feel like by sharing knowledge and empowering others i'm preventing accidents from happening but I'll never know because the accident will never happen.
0: Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Um, Now fall protection is something that all Canadians and Americans and people all over the world rely on daily. Um, These courses are not very challenging. Um, You know, some courses are a couple hours. Other courses are eight hours. It kind of depends on where you live and, you know, your certification scheme. Um, I know here in Canada, like myself, um, you know, you may have to be certified in each independent province individually. And, you know, for some people, if you're working in six provinces, you're just like, wow, that's like, I've just did this like six months ago or, you know, three months ago, but that certification is not valid or recognized in that province. I don't know what it's like in the, in the United States. Is it, you would get one fall arrest certification or one fall protection certification. Is it recognized across the entire United States?
1: typically it's recognized with your employer. So if you are so say I'm so say I'm a freelancer and I'm doing a job for Bigger Hammer, I've taken their fall protection and rescue courses during my onboarding. Okay. So they recognize that I have the skill set and they trust me to go and do the jobs for them. I can work for a different company and they can you know, if I'm working for another company as a contractor, they may say, Oh, you took this through bigger hammer. Cool. Good for you. Yeah. You can work for us. Or they may say, no, that's not good enough. We have to protect ourselves legally. So you have to take the course again through us. And that's what it's like working for a, like a big corporation like Disney. Like if I had a aerial work platform certification and a fall protection certification. Disney is not going to recognize that because. You know, they have to protect themselves legally. So they're going to say, you have to take that again through our trainers. And it may be, it it may be different. It may be different if I were to go to Disney and already have my Sprat or I certification. But even then, if I had a Sprat certification and I went to a company like Disney, they may say, okay, well. Why don't we take it, let's schedule a day and kind of go through what our expectations are and see if your training aligns with our expectations. If I walked in there with an IRATA certification, they may not recognize that. They may say, okay, well, we recognize you have that certification, but we're a Sprat company. So we're going to require that you go through the course. So again, like it's very, it's, it's less based on the state and it's more based on your employer.
0: Interesting. Whether you're
1: a contractor or part time or full timer,
0: interesting that uh, that's never been explained to me like that in the United States. I, I generally didn't know so how it worked there. So um, yeah, so if you go from six different companies, you may end up having to go through the training six times that year.
1: Yeah, it totally. Yeah, it depends. And I know it can be really tedious to have to do the same training over and over and over again. But try to look at it from the employer's perspective. Like if like, okay, say, say you're looking for a babysitter for your kid, you're not going to just trust someone that you don't know to babysit your kid, you're going to want to vet them, you're still going to want to interview them, you're still going to want to figure out if they have like a first aid certification, or you're going to want to make sure that they are meeting your expectations as a parent. Same thing with a company. They want to make sure that you are meeting their expectations and training can be different. It can fluctuate a little bit between companies, mm-hmm. but if, you know, we have to adhere to OSHA standards, we have to adhere to, well, you don't have to adhere to ANSI standards, but most people do. Yeah. Um. So again, it's, it's really all about Ensuring that you are meeting expectations.
0: Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Um now extending on this, I would love to talk a little bit about um partially your video, I guess, on orthostatic intolerance, but just dive into the conversation of of that in itself. What is it? Um, what's the onsets? What are kind of side effects? um, short-term or long-term side effects. I don't know which is best to kind of talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, more so I want to really dive into is prone ability. So who is more prone to orthostatic intolerance? Um, you know, is somebody that is 19 years old, fresh off the track team, Highly acceptable, or is the person that's 65 years old that's a heavy smoker more acceptable? So that's kind of the dynamic I'm kind of looking for here. Cool?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. So people who may experience the onset of symptoms. Actually, let me back up here. What orthostatic- is... what is
0: like? I guess let, <laughs> yeah. let's start off with what is orthostatic intolerance and for kind sure. of des- uh, describe what it is or other trade names, if you will. Mm
1: -hmm. So a lot of people know this as suspension trauma or harness hang syndrome. But in my video, I really try to avoid using those terms because they're not super accurate. It's not the most accurate way to describe what's happening physiologically. So I use the term orthostatic intolerance because that's exactly what it is. If you've ever watched funny, like funny home videos and someone is standing at a wedding and then they pass out or you see someone in the military standing at attention for a long time they lock their knees and then they pass out that's orthostatic intolerance it's your are the <laughs> you are standing straight in an inert position so you're not moving and The way that this happens for people who are working at height is when you're connected to your harness D ring in your, on your back, your dorsal D ring, that is your harness is designed to keep you upright within a 30 degree angle. So that's how it's, it's being in that position is the same as standing at attention and locking your knees. So then what happens when you're in that position is your, your, um, your heart can only pump so much blood at a time, right? There's only so much blood pressure coming from your heart because that's the pump and the way that your body gets, um, deoxygenated blood back to the heart to pump it through the system again, is there are deep leg veins in your legs, which when your calves contract, it's it's like squeezing toothpaste i guess it's it's pumping the blood it's pumping the blood back to you know your heart that's called venous return and so when you're not flexing your calf legs or you're not moving around then that blood is going to have a harder time getting back to the heart and through the cycle again So then instead of having your blood equally distributed throughout your body, it starts to pool in the legs and then your body wants to pass out because when you pass out, you get into a horizontal position and you're not fighting gravity. So then the blood is able to return back to the heart and, you know, get distributed to your tissues and your vital organs and your brain. So. Some of the symptoms that that you may experience include dizziness, um, your vision may may be fuzzy or go dark, like it's basically the same symptoms that you experience if you're about to pass out, if you've ever experienced what that's like. Um, So some ways to manage that is by staying calm. If you can Flex your legs, do that. If you've got suspension trauma straps, you know, step into that. If you don't have trauma straps, then try to find something else that's on your rig. Maybe you've got a sling that you can use and rig it up to you somehow. If you've got a structure nearby, try to stand on or against the structure. And that's, you know, that's like like a good, good scenario. But if you're already passed out, then... You can't manage orthostatic intolerance that easily. So then you become susceptible to hypoxia, which is a lack of oxygen going to your brain. Mm -hmm. You may suffer from rhabdomyolysis, which is when the tissues in your muscle break down. And then that breakdown enters your bloodstream, which is bad. But I will say that with rhabdomyolysis, that process takes about four to six hours. So- Yeah. Really what I think you're trying to prevent is hypoxia. So what else did I, oh, and people who are more, so the, so the way that you delay the onset of symptoms again, is by flexing your calf muscles and staying hydrated and making sure that you are getting enough nutrition in your body. Um, and let's see, I think If I'm remembering correctly, gender doesn't really affect the onset of symptoms, your level of experience, your level of climbing experience also doesn't affect your, your susceptibility to orthostatic intolerance. So someone who's been climbing for one year could be just as susceptible as someone who's been climbing for 19 years. Really, I think what it comes down to is just your like your level of not I don't want to say your level of athleticism it's just every body is different like every individual body is different if that makes sense so Mm -hmm. in a study that I that I talk about in my presentation they they conducted a study to see how long it takes to experience the symptoms and it just it varies it's it can be as few as three minutes to as much as an hour. But I think the average time was about 17 minutes. You may want to go look at my video and double check yeah. <laughs> me on that. Or you can, if you're curious about the study, go to Project Suspezi, and then you can read all about it there.
0: Excellent. No, that's that's great. Um, it's something that obviously we don't talk a lot about in the rope access industry. Um, in a lot of cases, it's...
1: It doesn't happen that often, if it,
0: ever. It, it doesn't really happen often, and certainly not in the rope access industry. Um, mm-hmm. As you know, you're suspended in the on the front side of the harness, not the back side of the harness. puts you in a better sitting position for longer periods of time. The ability to you know move is there, right? You you always have a foot loop to stand on you can move move around you can connect yourself to structures you can go up and down ropes you can mm-hmm. do a lot of things obviously hopefully you
1: haven't hopefully you haven't hit your head exactly while you fall in yeah. because you know if you if if you are away from your anchor and you fall and you do a swing fall into a an object, yeah. you're gonna feel the same amount of force than you would if you had just fallen straight down. Yep. So that's why swing fall mitigation is highly important. Yes, And, you know, there's so, I, you know, coming from entertainment, it is so rare that you have a clear shot below you. There's usually a bunch of obstructions beneath you and there's definitely the possibility of breaking an arm or a leg or hitting your head on the way down, which again, even when you're climbing hard hats are super important for that reason. That's if you're conscious and waiting to be rescued, you can't self rescue. So you're waiting for your team to come get you. Hopefully you're conscious. Cause then, you know, it, 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 you're, you'll be fine. You'll, you'll truly be fine. But, um, you know, but if you're unconscious, then that you're at greater risk of hypoxia and you're just at greater risk of, um, long-term damage.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Is there been any studies of short-term, long-term, uh, complications?
1: Hmm. Hmm. You know what? I don't. I don't really know i'm i don't think i I don't think i'm in a position to talk about that in great detail because it's been a while since i've read any studies about this and i'm also not a medical professional i'm first aid cpr certified and that's it like when it comes to handling someone who is you know in a bad situation I don't need to exceed my level of training. And that's really important for anyone doing anything is never exceed your level of training. So yeah. my level of training has taught me to, you know, assess the victim for external bleeding, for heavy bleeding. And the first thing you need to do is stop the bleed. Then you want to pay attention to any possible neck or spinal injuries. And you, if that's the case, you need to try to, keep the person immobile. Cause you don't want to deal with that, you know, look for, you know, I guess, protrusions of, of bones or, you know, you, then you just want to, if the person's in shock if the person is like hysterical, you want to try to calm them down. Like part of first aid is, is providing psychological first aid. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, keeping someone calm is highly important. But as far as, like, long-term or short-term consequences, I, I, that, that's kind of, that's, like, beyond my level of expertise.
0: Fair enough. And that just goes to show, like, also another thing for other people that are listening or watching this is make sure that you stay within your current certification requirements. Um, you may have had greater certification at one point, but at this time that you are certified to a certain standard or discipline, that's what you're allowed to operate to. You're not allowed to operate to something, you know, five, six years ago that you were certified at a higher level. So make you sure have to that think you're. About,
1: yeah. You have to think about how is it going to hold up in court, right? <laughs> yeah. In the United States, we talk about the good Samaritan law. Um, so when you are going through first aid training, something that is extremely important is consent right you need to have consent to to administer first aid on someone so if they're conscious you know the red cross trains you to approach them and say hi my name is siobhan i'm trained in first aid through the american red cross i've noticed that you seem to be feeling ill can i assist you and that is something that they really drill into you yeah if someone is choking um then, you know, there's like the universal sign for I'm choking, you know, usually people will put their hands around their throats. Even in that instance, you have to say, hi, my name is Siobhan. I'm trained in first aid through the red cross. I, you seem to be choking. Can I assist you? And, you know, hopefully they nod, hopefully
0: they nod and,
1: (laughs) you know, but I mean, yeah. So then you can do the Heimlich maneuver, or if someone is unconscious and they're non-responsive, you still have to go up to them and and tap on their shoulders and be like, hello, hello, hello. Are you okay? Hello, hello, hello. And then if there's nothing, it's assumed that they need help. So then you go through and, and do what you were trained to do. And that's like the good Samaritan law is supposed to protect you in those situations. So unfortunately, one of, um, One of the guys that I know at ENSA has been in the situation where a woman was choking out at the airport and he goes to help her and he's feeling proud of himself thinking, yes, I did a good thing. And she just turns around and like berates him and is yelling at him for putting his hands on her. And unfortunately, there are people like that out there. And that makes me really sad because it makes people not want to be good people um but when all is said and done you know it's just important to think about like well how is this going to hold up in court if i have advanced training from six years ago but that certification is no longer valid and i'm you know testifying and the judge and the judge or the law or the attorney or whoever says well why did you do that when your certification is expired what if, what if there was new research that came out within, you know, in, in the time that you didn't have that certification and you didn't have the most up-to-date training, you know, then you don't really, you're not going to have a good case. So that's just a very important thing to think about when you're doing any kind of at-height work or any kind of rescue work.
0: Absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you very much for chiming in on that. Um, excellent. So, Is there anything else you'd like to add? That's all I kind of have for today. So.
1: Oh gosh. I mean, I love answering your questions. I could talk (laughs) about this forever. (laughs) Um, I will say that. You know, coming from entertainment rigging, I've never been in a wind turbine before. And it's kind of amusing to me that now I'm teaching wind turbine technicians how to get out of bad situations. So. I'm asking my class, like, Hey, what's the nacelle? What's, you know, what is it like going into the blade? How do you do this? How do you do that? Because when I ask the students, these questions, they're helping me be a better trainer and understand the context in which I'm training these principles, Mm -hmm. but it's the same across the board, you know, fall protection is fall protection. Rescue is rescue. Um, A confined space is a confined space, no matter where you're at. So um, yeah, I think that if you are, if you're an employer, and you are looking at a resume, and they may not have, you know, experience doing what you do, like, you're looking at a at a resume and someone wants to be a wind turbine technician but they come from entertainment rigging well i think you should still invite them to an interview because you should ask them what their experiences have been because again it's the same physics doesn't change fall protection doesn't change just because you're in a different industry Um, if you are hiring a crane rigger or someone wants to be a crane operator then but they come from entertainment rigging that you should still you should still just invite them to an interview just to you know ask them more questions about what they're about and what their experiences have been because it is a a very unique industry and there's there's so much that you have to know when you are part of these big entertainment installs and it is It is a a very unique industry, and some of the hardest workers are in these industries. So I highly, highly invite people to get to know entertainment industry professionals, especially since a lot of people had to pivot doing, you know, from entertainment and pivot into something
0: else uh,
1: due to COVID. So
0: yeah, Uh, the entertainment industry was heavily affected by uh, COVID. Um, and you know, for the foreseeable future, we'll be dealing with this and there's going to be a lot of people looking for work. So, you know, if you are a individual in the rope access or industrial industry and you have somebody from the entertainment industry looking for work, Hey, just pick up the phone, give them a call, just chat, kind of get an idea of their background. This is obviously giving you an idea talking with Siobhan here of, you know, the diversity of these people that have been on big productions um, and just the you know the general consensus of understanding of you know rescue procedures and and you know being safe at in a work site um, and it may not be in an industrial site necessarily or a commercial site but you know they deal with a lot of big industry um, aspects and you know they could definitely be somebody that could um, help benefit your company moving forward?
1: Absolutely. I have a live stream series on my YouTube channel called industry explorers, and you can find industry explorers on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. My goal with this brand is to help empower students, educators, and career changers. And in, um, show them what career opportunities are available and how to thrive in those careers and industries so if you are a career changer i i invite you to check out my platform and i love inviting guests and the reason that i host these live streams is because it allows me to have the audience ask questions so, if you are interested in becoming a wind turbine technician, I'm gonna have someone who talks about that industry and how you know the certifications that are important. And I invite you to stay up to date with these live streams and ask the guests questions live. Cause yeah, I I, I do it to help others really. So um, another upcoming guest that we have will be talking about technology and development. I've got someone talking about game design we had someone talk about um, video game sound design and he used to work with me at the Disneyland Resort and he was an audio technician. So he is very familiar with how you can transfer your skills from entertainment sound design and enter- just entertainment audio and and use it towards video game sound design. So that is, that is something that I, I like to offer to help people who are making changes in their careers. So, feel free to reach out to me with any questions or requests. Um, women who are entering male dominated industries, you can ask me anything anytime. You can ask me what my favorite harness is, you can ask me what kind of st- like work boot I use. It's I love those questions because again, when I first started in my industry, I had a manipulative mentor and unfortunately like I no longer talk to this person, but I just, I don't want my experiences to happen to anybody else, male or female. And I invite anybody to reach out to me anytime. I am most responsive on LinkedIn. You can find me at Siobhan Colleen.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, it's been a pleasure chatting with you and kind of getting an idea of a new industry that I'm not familiar with.
1: Yeah, likewise.
0: <laughs> Cheers. <clears throat> All right. Well, thank you, Siobhan, for that all right, well, thank you very much, Siobhan, for that conversation. That was awesome. Uh, definitely enlightened me on a couple different things, much like the um, orthostatic intolerance. It's definitely something that I'm not an expert in, that's for sure. But yeah, it's also good to kind of get a different perspective on entertainment rigging. Obviously, I'm not in that industry. Um, And I have so many questions and so many kind of like what twos and what's it like and all that sort of thing. So definitely thank you very much. Um, Also don't forget to comment below and let her know where you're at or what you're doing. Um, And if you're interested in more information about entertainment rigging, let us know in the comments below. If you like this episode, please make sure to hit the like button, subscribe to the channel. If you haven't already hit the bell for notifications as I put out new content every Sunday. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast until next time.